Blog Talk Radio. Despite 
you know, the GOP trying to defund it, that's not going to happen. So we'll sit back and watch what's happening with, you know, our congressional leaders that we voted in into office and see what's happening and see how this plays out um, as far as shutting down the government. Again, as I've stated in the past, guys, get out there, get registered to vote. You can go to rockthevote.org, um, you know, find out about the respective um, city clerk offices or, you know, however that's set up in your area. But find out, get registered to vote. The 2014 elections are coming up. It's important. This is how we lost control of, you know, the Congress the last time, at least the House of Representatives, and that was in the 2010 election. So now it's 2014. It's important that we vote in that election, but most importantly, vote in your local elections. You know, that affects you more than the federal, you know, um, you know, elections and what's happening. But you need to vote in them all. But get more um, involved in what's happening locally there. So I wanted to tell you guys about that. Also, we're still accepting abstracts for the Women of Color Beyond Faith Anthology. The deadline has been pushed back to October 30th. So 500 words or less, an abstract. Um, I'll post the link a little bit later, tweet it out again later on this week. And Dr. Hutchison would love to hear from you guys. So I just want to let you guys know you still have an opportunity to submit an abstract, and we're looking forward to reading your submission. So thank you so much. So that's pretty much all that I want to talk about as far as that's concerned. Um you know, usually, you know, I talk about a few news stories, but eh, this week is going to be a little different. Um, there have been some events happening in the secular community that have been extremely concerning on the past few years, but especially in the past um, few months. And, you know, these events, you know, have been very disheartening, at least for me. You know, and I'm sure the people involved as well. I mean, there have been allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, Of course, you know, with the racism and the sexism, um, we have the tone policing. As a matter of fact, next week the show is Shame, Shame, Shame. And we're going to be talking about a number of issues. Let me pull my notes up here because on that particular show, we're going to talk about the culture of silence, we're going to talk about policing, we're going to talk about the culture of victimization, and we're going to talk about stigmatization as well. So, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Um, We're just going to throw a bunch of stuff in there, and we're going to talk about it because, you know, in order for us to get better and to move on, we have to address these issues. And I believe I have another show scheduled after that. I had to find my other notes, but I want to do a show on blank pain and you know, that should be really good because, you know, people need to understand because there are some people out there that seem to not understand that we are human, we have feelings, we feel pain, and we matter. And I want you guys to know that you matter. And it's okay to have emotions and to have feelings. Um, That was one of the after effects of being in a religion um, for me is basically I remember when I was younger and, you know, my mom is really into church, my whole family. And I would say something like I was feeling sad or depressed or what have you, you know, some one of those adjectives. And I would always be told that, you know, I wasn't feeling what I thought I was feeling. 
and that Christians don't get sad, Christians don't get angry, Christians don't get depressed because the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? That was the scripture that I would be given. And for years, you know, you know, and a lot of that was suppressed. And then, you know, it gets to a point where it comes up, then you start feeling guilty about having these feelings because, you know, one of the things in the black community, you know, and this is not everybody, but just what I personally experienced, that, you know, feeling sad or depressed or anything was a sign of weakness. And, you know, um, I was always heralded, if you will, to be a, being the strong person you know, in the family. So, you know, when I would have those feelings, I would feel guilty. I would feel bad. I would think that something was wrong with me. So, you know, I had to learn, you know, in my 30s. I had to learn how to identify different emotions. I had to learn how to accept that I had more emotions than happy and exhilarated in the Lord, if you will. So, you know, these things, you know, have an impact on it, you know, and there's more to it than that, but you know, just sharing a little bit about myself and what I dealt with and, you know, other people that I've spoken with, you know, um, they had some of the same issues, which is why on previous shows, you all can check out the archives. We have a very vast archive. I've talked about emotions and how, you know, in some cases we have to learn to identify certain emotions um, and be able to accept them and learn how to deal with them. But anyway, getting back to the subject at hand, you know, with the events that's been, you know, happening in this community, I don't know. You know, I'm very disappointed in what's been going on. Um, These past three years have been a really big learning experience for me, you know, a serious learning experience. And, you know, it got to the point that I've had to apologize to some religious acquaintances due to, you know, some of my misperceptions, um, my misplaced and misguided anger and just some plain misunderstandings, and I still have a few more people to go and speak with and to, you know, apologize because one thing that I've learned is it's not relegated to ideology because, again, I'm saying the same thing on this side of the equation. And, you know, I'm always talking about that, but... You know, some of this stuff that's happening is extremely disappointed, disappointing and um, just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, um, again, there were problems and issues that I used to exclusively attribute to the religious community, and I was wrong. You know, I'm saying it over here. It's, it's even worse on this side, you know, so I'm disappointed on a number of different levels for a number of things, but, hey, life goes on, and... You know, the state of the human condition continues regardless of your particular ideology. So, you know, that kind of brings me to a couple of situations. Well, yeah, a couple of situations in, you know, the secular free thought community. And, you know, basically, you know, the topic of the day right now that I want to talk about is, you know, there have been multiple issues that have come up in the past several months you know, just bubbled to the surface. And, you know, it's interesting, the responses, you know, in these particular situations, you know, and we've called them out on the racism and the sexism, but it seems as though 
there are some listening. And for those, you know, our allies that are listening, we appreciate you and we thank you. And that's why we have no problems talking with you guys. And I've seen improvement in a few people, so I appreciate that. But for some of the other people, it's like, you know, they're not listening. And, you know, you, you can tell what's happening and where their minds are based on their responses. You know, I'm going to give you an example, or two examples, actually, of, you know, African-American women in this community, you know, and they were both pretty much vilified and thrown under the bus. And in one case, the young woman was characterized as, quote, unquote, incompetent. And, you know, I don't believe that to be true. Um, With this particular individual, you know, the character that was, you know, painted of her is one that I've seen played out in corporate America and academia. And it's the same character that, you know, they paint of certain people, you know, mainly minorities or people of color when they're trying to drum them out. And in that case, you know, the person that was trying to paint her in that light, the blame is with them because that was his decision. But the interesting thing is is that the person is valuable as long as they are due as they are told and they take the hits for the team. You understand? And once the individual finds their voice, if you will, and then has the unmitigated gall to voice their dissent, then that person is marked, labeled, and blackballed as a troublemaker and a jaded malcontent, if you will. And, again, like I said, it's funny how the same scenario plays itself out time and time again. And the only thing that changes is the name of the person, you know. And what I found interesting was the silence from the secular community. The silence was deafening. Yet, you know, the defamatory rhetoric was basically being recapitulated by some people in this community. I only saw one or two people um, defending that individual, you know, about two or three people, let me correct myself. And even to this day, I haven't really seen much. And, you know, I just think that it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And in the second case of an African-American female, um, there was a situation. And the way that this person was characterized Basically, the person leveling the charges basically characterized her as a quote. And, and I can't even say quote because these were not his words, but this is the perception that I got from the situation. And, you know, he characterized her basically as an uncouth screaming banshee. And... You know, I, the whole situation was unfortunate. And I don't know, you know, it goes back to that white privilege because after the talk, he basically was demanding an answer from her as though he was her father or some type of authority figure that, you know, deserved some type of response some type of, 
you know, uh, acquiescence, if you will. Basically, he wanted her to genuflect and kiss his ring. You know, that's that's basically what I got from that situation. And, um, again, that whole situation, um, there were a few that came to that individual's um, defense because the white woman that asked the question in that particular situation qualified her question before she even asked it. And when she qualified it, she basically said, well, maybe I shouldn't ask this question, but I'm going to do so anyway. So she understood, you know, what she was doing. And this particular white woman was painted as a damsel in distress, if you will. That was the picture that was painted um, and with a couple of these men involved here, you know, the way that it was portrayed and the way that many of us saw this was, um, again, you know, a couple of white males flexing their power and privilege. And, you know, while protecting that particular white woman in this situation, um, they painted her and portrayed her as a friend. They portrayed her as naive. They portrayed her as uninformed. They portrayed her as innocent, while at the same time, you know, painting the African-American woman as, you know, something other than, you know, a human being with feelings and a human being that has experiences. You know, her experiences are different than your experiences, you know, and whole thing, you know, and basically the white woman in that situation was given a pass by these individuals because according, you know, um, to them, she meant no harm and her question was given in the spirit of learning. And I found that, you know, quite interesting, you know. So, again, um, you know, it's a game being played just in general, you know, and I'm talking about in life, period, not necessarily pointing to this community, but when it comes to certain people, it seems as though character defamation, um, name selling, and reputation, assassination is part of Drum em Out 101. So you need to understand what's going on, how that game is being played. Um, now, there's a situation that came up in the past few days um, that's been, you know, kind of disturbing. And, you know, as much as this community denies and deflects, there was a lot of white privilege. And it's shown on multiple levels. And there are some allies out there that understand that they have um, white privilege. And they acknowledge that, and, you know, we appreciate that. But, you know, this is being shown on a number of levels. Um, again, you know, with the one woman that asked that question, you know, she was portrayed as being clueless. You know, she was not held accountable for, you know, asking an inflammatory, racially charged question. You know, and the question at hand was, you know, what are you going to do, talking about the black atheist secular community, what are we going to do about black-on-black crime? 
Now, I don't know if she gets her news and her information from, you know, Fox News, but that's another story. But, you know, what I'm getting ready to talk about now is what's happened in the past few days. And there um, was an individual, you know, a white woman, who had claimed multiple academic and pastoral credits. And this information was never verified. They basically took her at the veracity, you know, of her word. And that right there is privilege in and of itself, you know, because part of privilege is, you know, and white privilege, that is, is that, you know, white people are generally taken at their word. Their claims um, are not usually, uh, you know, um, substantiated or or, or verified, um, and many of their assertions are never questioned. You know, and I'm not saying that in every case, but, you know, in this particular case here. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. Understand, you know, and don't send me any shitty emails or messages. You know, let me finish my point and just listen to the remainder of what I have to say because I'm not condemning the woman at the center of this most recent controversy. She shouldn't have lied, plain and simple. Let's get that out the way. You know, but I will give her credit for it. I was going to say, I was going to say, um, plain and simple she lied, but plain and simple there's evidence that she lied. Like, this is not speculation. This is not people exaggerating. There's evidence that she lied. Right, that she admitted it. That she admitted it. She issued a statement stating that the information that she had supplied was false. But this was only she kind of half-heartedly admitted it, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a half-hearted yeah. admittance because she basically characterized it as uh, a lapse in judgment or a, a grave error in judgment. I think were her exact words. Um, whereas exactly. where she put it on her resume. You know, and right. um, she put it right on her resume, and um, and actually uh, it was repeated. You know, uh, over the course of eighteen months. You know, and it was on her resume even before she came into the community. It was on her exactly. resume before she came into the community. So this this particular fabrication was taking place before she even became a part of the secular community. Like we need for you to understand that. We want to make sure it's in context. You know, and again, I give her some credit for attempting to get in front of the story before it made or broke national news. But the, my question is, you know, and please don't take this as being cynical. This is a real question. Would she have continued with the lie had the academic institution in question not reported their findings? Absolutely. Because, yeah, exactly. I'm you sorry. Know, I'm sorry. Was I not supposed to answer that? I don't know. It was more rhetorical, but that's all right. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, but that's all right. But the thing is, is that it was the academic institution that blew the lid off of this. She didn't tell them herself. Can I just, per se. Can I just say her name though, because I feel like we're like I feel like we're dancing. No, no, I just they, you know it's just already out there. They know who we're talking I mean, about. It's I, Teresa McVane. It's Teresa McVane. Because some people don't pay attention to the news. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, it's Teresa McBain. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, Duke University, basically the dean um, 
at Duke University called up the New York Times and reported that she did not have her master's in divinity and that she had only attended um, some type of course. I think it was a four- or five-part course she had only attended one summer, and she did not receive her master's in divinity. However, that was on her enrollment. In the, in the divinity program, in the you know master's yeah, in divinity yeah, program. Yeah, this was a program one. for lay ministers. So she, right. She only did exactly. one summer of five. So right. Um, you know. So so yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's what was happening then. So they basically blew this out the water. But see, this is the thing. When you achieve that type of stature and celebrity and fame, if you will, people are going to start checking out your story. And I don't know how she thought she was going to be able to continue to perpetuate that particular lie because, of course, you know, Duke was going to think now, you know, this holy heathen over here, um, you know, they, they were part of our program, so of course they're going to look you up to see when you were there and, you know, what courses you took because they're trying to understand, you know, where they quote-unquote went wrong. You know, this is how some religious people think. Where did we go wrong? How did we lose the sheep, if you will? But right. when, you know, um, I'll give her credit, some credit, it seems as though she's taken this blowback and criticism with some grace. Okay, um, and it seems as though she's attempting to take this criticism and blowback with, you know, the same, you know, um, spirit or stature, if you will, that she took the accolades in the celebrity. So, you know, I commend her for that because I know this whole situation is psychologically, emotionally, and more so financially distressing, and we definitely um, wish her well, you know, but in this particular situation, you know, I've seen different articles and I've seen different responses from people in this community, and they are definitely backpedaling and and, and softballing this particular situation. They're softballing. softballing. They're minimizing. Yeah, exactly, minimizing what she has done and and I understand, you know, we're not here to condemn her or anyone else. You know, we're just talking about how these situations have been handled differently. Right. We're condemning and the behavior. She, yeah, exactly. You know, contrasting what was happening here, um, you know, what I will say is with that type of celebrity, you know, there comes scrutiny, dissection, and criticism. And if you're not ready for that, then you don't need to be up there. That's a given, especially in this country. They build you up to tear you down, you know, and if she was caught off guard, then she hasn't been paying attention. And for those of you out there who want that type of fame and celebrity, you need to pay attention. You need to listen up because there is always going to be – I just think this speaks to a certain – I mean, I don't know this person, but I think that, you know, it's interesting – that people have, you know, been lauding her personality and how, you know, how she's a great person, how she's a nice person. And all of those things might be true, but I think that one has to admit that there's a certain amount of hubris. Right. You know what I mean? And an individual who thinks that they can be as public as she's been and to, you know, take on so many high-profile type positions in the secular community and not have someone, 
you know, find out who she is. Now, it, what is really, uh, I think, unfortunate and telling to me about the secular community is that it was that that we on this side did not do our due diligence in right. in vetting her and hiring her um, in all of these different positions on this side. Um, especially well, there are a couple of schools of thought. There are a couple of schools of thought regarding that situation. There are some people who feel as though you know she was handed you know all of these different positions in the atheist community. You know, there's some people who feel as though her whole career was handed to her. And, you know, someone stated as such in the response to that was, no, she was not handed her career in this community, that she gave a talk at a convention and that she moved people. There were people moved to tears. Now, as being part of this community, you know, we hear, you know, the philosophy moving, you know, going back and forth. I thought appeal to emotion was a logical fallacy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I was going to say that I um I I wouldn't I don't know, you know, that it was necessarily that she was handed her position, but I certainly think that, you know, the white privilege is certainly something that comes into play in this particular situation. I I right. don't think that she would have made that speech in 2012 when she was, you know, basically introduced to all of us had she not, had it not been assumed that her stated credentials were real. I don't think she would have right. made it to that stage because a lot of people a lot of people have that basic conversion story. Um right. you know, I was involved in church myself, you know, and a lot of people who are secular are, I mean, because we live in a country that is primarily religious and primarily Christian. So most of us on this side are going to have that essential, you know, story. We, you know, we came up through the church or you know, we had some contact with the church. Even we didn't have contact with the church, we had the belief. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, you know, exactly. and, and and through various circumstances, we came to realize that it was wrong, and then we had a, a period of mourning and, you know, dealing with, you know, you know, trying to shed certain mindsets that we had while we were in the faith. And now we realize that a lot of things that we said and did were wrong, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Right. But... Exactly. What, what what her background was 
and and she was right exactly. for the most part. Exactly, and this is why I come down on this community because my thing is, is this community is so desperate for leaders and icons and idols, what have you, that they don't care who it is as long as this person is pissing in the Cheerios of theists. Do you understand? And if, if that's the case, yeah, you know, but, I mean, if, if that's the case, they're doing the same thing the religious people are doing, and they mm-hmm. don't spit. And that's why, right. you know, I've been pointing this out. I've been contrasting this. I've been comparing it. I've been, oh, and I'm like, they don't see what they're doing. They don't see they're doing the same bullshit the religious people are doing. And now they want to plant atheist churches? What the hell? Is this a secret ministry now? And, you know, they're <laughs> aiming for the young people. They're aiming to plant atheist churches. Are we now, you know, are these secret ministries, atheist ministries? What the hell are we doing? Yeah. What's happening? I mean, it's, you know, last Last week I talked about it. I kind of started around the issue because, you know, guys, you know, if I really said what was on my mind, I have a whole bunch of people there mad at me. Raina had to make me cut some things out of my little thing I was going to say today. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> she's not lying. You know, yeah, because, I mean, you know, I can cut for blood, and I don't give a shit. You know, like I said, don't send me any shitty emails and inboxes because my response is fuck you. I'm telling you now. So, um, <laughs> um, um, so my thing is is that, you know, is this community so desperate? Because there is an agenda, okay? And she fit right into their agenda. And this is why I'm not coming down necessarily too hard on her because she was used, honey. You were used. Period. You were used. And the thing is, is that the only thing, you know, the what eluded, she got the celebrity, she got the fame, but she didn't get the fortune. That's what eluded her. But trust and believe, somebody capitalized on that situation. Somebody made money. It wasn't her. But somebody else made some money off this. So, um, you know, and what I find interesting, and this is what gets me, and this is coming from a more humanist standpoint, okay, many of us, you know, came from the church, were raised in a church, and if we weren't raised in a church, some of us found, you know, religion as we got a little older, and then we left. You know, I've been gone from religion a long time. I actually stopped believing when I was 11, 12, but in my mid-20s, I went back for a few years and got really deeply involved in the ministry, blah, 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 and then I left. Now, and because I come from a very religious family, it didn't matter if I went to church every day it was a fucking church, okay? Um, I'm still deprogramming myself from religion, you know, and because it's part of our culture, you know, the American culture as well as, you know, in communities of color, you know, religion happens to be, you know, one of the cornerstones or even bedrock, some people may say, of our communities. So it's kind of hard to get away from a lot of this. But this is the thing here. I'm still deprogramming myself. Other people out here, they're still deprogramming, you know, themselves as well. This is my thing. How do you really expect a person whose entire world revolved around a church and that happened to have had a crisis of faith to step out of that arena, the religious arena, into a public position in the secular community instantaneously? Did this woman get any counseling? Did you all give her a chance to breathe? 
This should have a chance to really decompress. This should get a chance to actually really understand what was happening to her. Was she ever able to reconcile her feelings? I mean, I mean, this is just coming from a humanist standpoint right here. And the thing is, is that I kind of see it as being unfair to her. She's not, she left one and then stepped into this arena. You know, and I'm not even talking about the credentials anymore. I'm talking as a human being. Did she get a chance to catch her breath before she was herded before a public relations team and a barrage of reporters, you know, as, as they held her up as the new, a new beacon in the atheist community and basically did the na-na-na-na-na to the Christian community? See, now we got one of your people. Ha-ha. You know, uh, um, I mean, but this this is just me. This is just me, and this is how I'm looking at it, you know. So, I mean, I'm definitely wishing her the best because right now it seems as though, you know, she's in a really tight situation. And so I guess my question to the secular community, especially those that, you know, put her in the spotlight and, you know, basically featured her or what have you, what are you all going to do to help her? She needs help now. Now she needs your help, something serious, because she's in dire straits. What are you going to do now? You know, because I see some of these people, like somebody turned on a damn, you know, kitchen light and the cockroaches just scattered when a spotlight was put on this situation. What are you all going to do to help her? Because I'm sure she needs even more counseling now, and especially if some of these people have truly turned their backs on her. Just imagine, she had to deal with that with the religious community, and now she's dealing with the same thing with, you know, the secular community. And for the people that put her on, you know, you know, somebody knew. Somebody knew the truth, and they were complicit with the deception. Now are you going to help her? You know, so, I mean, before they put her out there and put her on this particular career path, I just thought it would have been responsible of them for her to seek the counseling. Um, I know she was part of the clergy project. You had to take these, you know, courses or what have you to complete the clergy project. And she was the executive director over there, so I'm assuming that she, you know, uh, completed that. But, um, no, you know, um, there's more to it, you know, and I just find it hard to believe that she would leave a life of comfort privilege, power, and reverence for a life of uncertainty. Because over here, nothing is written in stone. This is a life of uncertainty over in a secular community. So, I mean, you know, they need to work with her, and right now she needs to be shielded, if you will. And when I say shielded, not necessarily, you know, um, covering for her, but they need to uh, kind of well, work with her. Which is what they seem to be doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, even even the part about her being a pastor is sort of unclear now because right. there's, some, there's, there's some question as to um, whether she was a, you know, because there are different levels of pastors. You can be a, le- a lay pastor or a part-time pastor and not be paid and not have to have a degree. But in many instances, you know, to I mean, in most instances, I know within the, you know, United Methodist Church, you have to have some form of, you know, master's divinity or doctorate in order to be, um, you know, pastor of a of a church or, you know, 
head pastor. So Right. Exactly. So there's, there's and, a question as to even whether or not she was doing that and how much of that she was doing and what have you. But like I said, I think for me, the thing that, that strikes me about the situation as being an example of white privilege is I, I doubt very sincerely that she would have been post, uh, put up in all of these positions. And everyone keeps saying how competent she is. And I have no way of judging her competence. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? But right. I'll take them at their word that she was competent in all of these situations situations and scenarios, but how would she have gotten it else would she have gotten into the door? You know what right. I mean? There's exactly. she wouldn't have gotten into the door if she hadn't had these credentials on her resume. Exactly. Is, is what exactly. I believe. And the fact that she didn't check her credentials and didn't even think to check her credentials sort of signals to me that there that this is an instance of white privilege. Exactly, exactly, and this is the thing, you know, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know I do, but the thing is is that the people that paraded her out like she was some sort of trophy to show to Mm -hmm. the religious community that doubt and non-belief had been found and delivered from its ranks, those are the very same people that need to be rallying around her and helping her in this situation. And that's how I Well, they seem to be doing that, but they seem to, at the same time, like I said, not seem to be owning up to the fact that she that she lied because they keep trying to minimize it like oh it was just a right. slip of the like she just slipped her mind you know she didn't she just didn't correct it or it was an omission or you know one of those types of things as, as though um, that would make it better you know what I mean because then it's just you're irresponsible you know what I mean as exactly. opposed to as opposed to saying that somebody you know they deliberately lied because this is what she did she right. lied. You know? Right, and, and then what gets me in one of those articles, they they tried to say one of her qualifications should have been, but she was really religious. That's not a damn qualification. It's not a qualification. You know what? We're all qualified. I will start demanding that you all call me the Queen of Sheba, okay? Right. That's how you <laughs> change Queen of Sheba, damn it. Why? Because I really believe deep down in my shondo that I am the Queen of Sheba. <laughs> you know, right. you know, you're religious, so that makes you qualified. The fuck? Yeah, you know, I just, come on, come on. And, and we're not saying that she wasn't a willing participant. She was. She is just as culpable. You know, but, you know, now you got people and organizations running for cover, and I think it's bullshit. Put your big girl panties or drawers on and stand up and take it. Deal with it. <laughs> ah. yeah. right. I mean, being, I mean, being on choirs in the church does not make me a musical director. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just not the, the case, same thing. Man. Man, let me tell you. And some of the churches that I've been to, people from other churches will wear the choir robes from their church and then run to the front of the pulpit and, and, and turn around towards the audience and dance like they were part of the choir. You know, before praise dancing was popular, you had people running in front of the church praise dancing all over the church. So just because that's happening, that doesn't mean that they're part of the choir. That doesn't mean that they're part of the ministry, if you will. It's just, you know, this it's just it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So basically, I want to offer her some words of encouragement, um, you know, and hopefully they're they're trying to offer her words of encouragement and motivation and offering her some type of remuneration in this particular time because from my understanding, um, 
it's just it's about to get really rough for her. But, you know, the Segway community, I guess they had to learn this lesson the hard way. And, you know, maybe they should think twice next time. Um, you know, when it comes to the media and some of these people out here, you cannot play checkers with chess masters. Understand that. Okay. And, you know, so, you know, in this situation, um, and journalists huh. don't like being lied to. <laughs> That's the exactly. Other thing. Exactly. You know, because, I mean, lives are being destroyed in this situation because, I mean, they moved from one state to another for a job that, you know, she had, you know, um, received an offer for. And, you know, now the housing is being taken away because I believe that was part of the incentive package. So now they don't have a place to stay. She's not going to receive that salary. Um, I'm assuming the whole family moved, so, you know, it makes me wonder if her husband gave up his employment, you know. Um, and so they're just in a really, really bad situation. So, you know, my ending thoughts to that is Master Manipulators 2, Pawn 0. Mm-mm. Terrible. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. Anyway, um... But yeah, I just feel I, I just like I said, I, I feel I feel exactly the same way that you do. I just I think it's unfortunate for her that she's in this position, but she's largely there due to her own actions and unfortunately, um I, I don't think that the community is doing any her any favors or anyone else any favors by pretending that it was something less than it what it was. Just own up to it, you know. Um, I'm sure because you know, because now that she has a track record of competence, surely there must be a position somewhere for her. Right. You know what I mean? So exactly. help her out. Exactly. You know, do something along those lines. But don't cover for her. Don't try to make it, right. you know, seem like she didn't right. lie. Exactly. You know, and so, you know, yeah, they need to step up and help her out because, um, you know, the last thing, you know, they need is another PR disaster, if you will, because then, you know, it's it's just I got so many twists on the story as to how it could possibly go. I'll just say it would be in their best interest to help her out in this particular situation. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yes, indeed. You know, I almost said help me, Holy Ghost, but, you know, um, uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting um, how all of that is coming about, but, again, you know, we wish them well. And so moving on, moving on, moving on, uh, we brought back the biblical series, you know, the biblical history. This is part five, Exodus and African Americans. Now, we did a series, which was part four, talking about the Exodus, did it ever happen? And, you know, we provided links and information, you know, that there is no archaeological or historical information to corroborate that story. And there are even some um, rabbis and clerics and, you know, scholars that have all stated that the story of Exodus never happened because for a migration that great, there would be some evidence. We got Travis on the line with us. Hey, Travis. Hey, Kim. It's me and Tina Manu from Funny to the Moon popping in for a minute here. 
listening. Hey, uh, how just, are you? Yeah, listening in on you uh, breaking down Moses with a lie. You know, it's a really good story. It's a really good story. I posted on my uh, uh, Facebook page today, uh, and it, and I just said it, and I said, uh, "Does anybody understand what I'm what I'm talking about?" And what I wrote was, "How come the only book you need is the first book they let you read?" Right. It, it can't be the best book. It can't be. The first thing they let you get your hands on can't be the the whole thing because they because they let you see that. While you were still in chains, you learn. It, it, it can't be the only thing you need to know in this world. The things that that were let, uh, the, the knowledge that was uh, allowed to get to you, um, while you're in chains. Right, right, exactly, exactly, and that's the reason why you know part of what I you know have you know we're going to talk about today that, you know, there are two Christian Americas. There's a black Christian America and a white Christian America, and the white Christianity is basically, you know, racist. With the black Christian America is acquiescence, trying to, you know, play the part of forgiveness and understanding and trying to get a better understanding of, you know, why they were enslaved and why the Bible said that, you know, um, okay, slavery, if you will, and why they were told to obey their slave masters and all of that. So there are two very different perspectives of what Christianity is. And that's why, you know, Martin Luther King even said Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of Christian America. And it's true. And it's true. So, you know, um, yeah, the first, you know, the book that many people read, the only book many people read, is their Bible, and many of them don't even read that. I, I remember it was a study that said only 20% of Christians actually read the Bible. That was through Pew Research. And, yeah, um, I made a page called, uh, you really didn't read the Bible, did you? That's why I made a, I made a page. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, I think, um, but I think that point is right on, that uh, black Christianity has turned the other cheek, and white Christianity is uh, fight and die, you know, for the Lord. And there's the, the two can't go together. You know, either, you right. know, everybody's supposed to be turning the other cheek <laughs> to try to be Christian. But unfortunately, <laughs> you know, those that's just more boss talk, you know. Don't be mad at me. Don't want what I want. Don't even look at my riches or your, your you know, don't even think about wanting my life or your sinning. You know, don't even want what's on the other side of the fence or your sinning. Um, you know, if I take your shirt then you should give me your jacket, too. I mean, who, who wrote yeah. these rules? <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. You're right. You're right. And, you know, part of, you know, um, you know what we're going to talk about with Exodus today, and basically um, it's, it's, you know, the way that it's been used in this country. I'm just going to talk about Exodus and use it in, you know, in three different contexts, you know. And But the thing is is that you're absolutely correct. There are people that are conquerors, and then there are those that are conquered, if you will. And, you know, what's interesting about the story of Exodus in relation to African Americans, or even just Americans, period, we'll just say Exodus and Americans, is that, you know, um, the pilgrims, claim to have come to this country to find religious freedom because they felt as though they were being oppressed in Europe. So they were fleeing their Egypt 
find their own Canaan land. And America happened to be their own Canaan land in their eyes, if you will. But when they got here, they created their own Egypt by oppressing other people, if you will. So, you know, it's just really interesting. I'm sure the Native Americans, you know, the indigenous people and, you know, blacks will say the same thing because now they've become, you know, the, the Hebrews looking for their own Canaan land by the oppressors who at one point were claiming to be oppressed by their very own pharaoh. So it's just interesting how shit rolls downhill. Well, and, and that's oh, yeah. why one of the one of the biggest piles, I think one of the biggest piles of rolling downhill shit, is when you see uh, black Christians marching against gay rights, and that's a what it's like. That's it's that's weird. Too soon. That's too it's soon, weird. Uh, everybody, or like, you know, it's, but, uh, you, you know. Um, but then, Tana, think about the time we have right now. Kim, Tana, I don't know who else is on the line. Um, uh, we're at a time where black Christians are preaching against gay folks and black uh, rich folks are funding jokes about Harriet Tubman. Huh? Right, 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 right. And see, that's why... We you forgot. Know, go... yeah, well, yeah, part of that is forgetting, but also part of that is, again, you know... Um, Basically, now that, you know, people of color, you know, in, in some respect, uh, well, what is that? Sorry, yeah, sorry, people, that was me. I'm oh, that's okay. <laughs> that, you know, some people of color are coming into power in some respects. You know, again, it goes back to what I said about how a lot the the pilgrims got here, how they created their own Egypt, and they found other people to oppress and that's one of the things that I'm going to be talking about, you know, for what I put together for today because, um, you know, trying to put this in context so that people could understand. There are a couple of books by Albert Rabato, Canaan Land and A Fire in the Bone. So the two books that I recommend people buy or to get a better understanding of this, you know, I got it myself. And, you know, I'm going to be reading them this week, so we will be talking about this again in the future. But, you know, with the word exodus, you know, it's used in three different contexts um, in the United States. You know, it's actually more than three times that they use it, but I'm only going to talk about three different times. And with the American Revolution from 1776 to 1783, they used it. With the Civil War, 1861 through 1865, they used it. And then with part of the Civil Rights Movement from the 1940s to the 1970s, it was used. So, you know, during the American Revolution, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, they proposed the National Seal. And with that seal, it was going to portray the Egyptian pharaoh leading his troops through a divided Red Sea in pursuit of the fleeing Israelites. And basically surrounding that scene would have been the words, rebellion of tyrants is obedience to God. You know, and um, that was actually rejected. Um, and they went with another seal. We have Deborah on the line with us right now as well. But um, even during that time period, um, the slaves used the same narrative 
about the Exodus, they used it against the slaveholders. And basically, with the slaves, they used the story of Exodus as a method of encouragement um, because they felt as though they would be delivered from their oppressors. You know, during the Civil War, it seems as though all sides invoked Exodus as their mantra. You know, um, Abraham Lincoln was heralded as the Moses at that time for the North. Um, the South was hoping that their um, God would raise up a Moses for them so that they could succeed from the Union. And, you know, again, all sides were, you know, using Exodus as their mantra at that time. But um, during the Civil Rights Movement, you know, um, Martin Luther King used that reference often regarding the Exodus. In 1954, he compared the Supreme Court decision in Brown versus the Board of Education to the parting of the Red Sea. He also stated evil in the, evil in the form of injustice and exploitation cannot survive. And in 1971, Malcolm X declared that white America was a, quote, modern American house of bondage, end quote, destined to experience the same fate as the Egyptians. He then called the, you know, Honorable Elijah Muhammad Moses, which, of course, sent white America into a tizzy. So, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but, Kim, yeah. Kim, do you think that mm-hmm. um, a, a big part of that is because that the Bible book was the, the you know, the best reference book, and they figured that people had heard the Exodus speech before, and then they were able to say, well, this here is an Exodus right here, you know, and then they were able to make the analogy, you know, make the comparison, where today, if there was something going on and uh, uh, some aliens came and enslaved all of us, yeah, we, we, we might use that as a reference, or we might be like, you know, it's like Will Smith and Independence Day, you know what I mean? You have other references, you know what I mean? It's like Toby in Roots, you know what I mean? It's other references we got, you know what I mean? Kim, Kim you're going to have to be the Harriet Tubman, you know, for us here, you know what I mean? It has to be like that, you know? Well, call me Henry Tubman. Because I'm, you know, I'm with it, you know? Well, the irony with Americans is that Americans tend to act as the oppressed and the oppressor. That's the irony of being... Simultaneously. You know, exactly. You know what? Wait a minute. How about, you're right, the freer and the captor. Exactly. 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 And But see, this is rooted in colonialism which is why, you know, people are always talking about colonialism, you know, but it's rooted in that. And, you know, but this this also kind of explains some of the fear that's projected by racists because they are afraid that one day that people of color will oppress them in the same way that they oppress communities of color, which is why they don't want communities of color coming into power. So basically, you know, basically the way they see it is, you know, with black people, you know, com- committing an exodus, if you will, fleeing from the bondage that has been, you know, and the oppression that has been basically put upon us, you know, if we are given the opportunity to make that exodus, doesn't an exodus usually lead to a conquest? And if so, who are we going to conquest? See, that's what's going through their head. Right. Does that make right. any sense? You know, yeah, it makes sense. You know, when you say the thing about they fear us doing to them what what they did to us, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, Ingersoll said back in the 1800s, is post-Civil War, he said, uh, it is very easy to see why colored people should hate us, but why we should hate them is beyond my comprehension. They never sold our wives. They never robbed our cradles. They never scarred our backs. They never pursued us with bloodhounds. They never branded our flesh. It has been said mm-hmm. that it is hard to forgive a man to whom we have done a great injury. I can conceive right. no other reason why we should hate the colored people. You know, to they, to us, they are standing reproach. Their history is our shame. Their virtues right. seem to rage some white people. Their patience to provoke. Their forgiveness to insult. Turn the tables, change places, and with what fierceness, with what ferocity, with what insane and passionate intensity would we hate them? Kim, he oh, continues and he says, he says, he says, the, he says, the colored people do not ask for revenge. They simply ask for justice. They are willing exactly. to forget the past, willing to hide exactly. their scars, anxious to exactly. bury the broken change and forget the miseries and hardships, the tears and agonies of 200 years. Woo! He's a, he's a, he's a beast. <laughs> but see, the thing is, that, that is the absolute truth, and that's the reason why when I hear people talking about sowing and reaping and karma, it just drives me mad because there is no such thing as karma. There is no such thing as sowing and reaping. The only thing there is is justice. And if we can get people's yep. minds to understand that there is justice and understand how religion the Christianity that is put forth and espoused in this country is rooted in racism. And if we can get them to understand that, we can make so many different strides. We can yeah. overcome a lot of the issues that are happening in this country. But in communities of color, when they talk about the exodus, you know, I have Deborah and Raina on the line. When we talk about the exodus in communities of color, it's often used to bring about healing and unity. And basically, it's, it's used to provide a kindred bond between people. Um, and sometimes it's between Jewish people and African Americans, but mainly it's about to bring about solidarity, unity, and healing in our communities. So, you know, when we talk, well, you know, when many, you know, communities of color talk about Exodus, that's what they're talking about. They want healing, they want unity, they want solidarity, they want to be treated like human. Because, you know, we talked about, you know, the different categorizations of the three-part series that just finished. And, you know, those that are in power, you know, especially those that are in religious power and political power, they are the ones who get to define who's a human, who's a subhuman, who's inferior. They designate who goes into what category, which is why they have no problem calling someone an animal or calling them a savage or anything like that. And then I see, you know, even people in our community using those same words, that same terminology to describe other people. You know, I've seen, you know, um, black Christians call LGBTQ people animals. And, I mean, just it's, it's just it's unreal how all of this, you know, as we say, you know, it, it, it shit rolls downhill. But, um, you know, we're going to bring it back into context here. But, no, Robert Green Ingersoll was definitely on the money with that. He's right, you know, because. He's, he's a know, beast, a Kim. Of, he, yeah. He's a beast. He, he, but he breaks it down so simply. You got to remember, this is a white guy in the 1800s. You know what I mean? A man mm-hmm. who Frederick Douglass called a friend. 
one of my only two friends, like that, <laughs> like that, cold, like that. And um, he, he breaks it down, and it, it, but it's so simple. He said, uh, the man who hates the black man because he is black has the same spirit as he who hates the poor man because he is poor. It is the spirit right. of caste. The proud useless exactly. despises the honest useful. <laughs> it's so cold. Exactly. It's so but that's, what, that's what that is. And you're right. It is a caste system. And that's why, you know, that's why we were talking about the different categories there. You know, and it's just a caste system. You know, they decide who's Stay in your who's... place, in. Stay in your exactly. place, in. Exactly. Exactly. Same. You know, but the thing you see the same you see the same type of hierarchy, the same type of system, you know, even in churches. This this is why when I try to explain some of this to people, um, you know, this is just from my experience and what I've seen. You know, well some of these churches you go there and they have what they call willing workers, which are volunteers. And, you know, I've seen situations in which people were verbally, and what I've heard, I've heard people were physically abused because they didn't do what the pastor wanted them to do. Yeah, Brandy, your your, your mic is hot. Sorry, Um, I I didn't realize. Sorry, my cat was doing it. Sorry. Okay. But, yeah, no, the thing is is that, you know, I've seen that on multiple levels. Not only that, but even in, you know, our communities outside of, you know, um, the church as well. You know, you have people that mistreat others and they want their own servants, if you will. So that goes back to, you know, what I've said earlier about how, you know, in some cases there are some people who act as the oppressed as well as the oppressor. You know, it's kind of, you know, just that cognitive dissonance, if you will. You know, um, it's just, it's interesting, interesting how that works. Um, but basically, you know, quite a few older African Americans regard Martin Luther King being like a Moses, you know, leading people out because the civil rights movement during that time period, that was a very dangerous time. And that's why they called um, um, A. Philip Randolph the most dangerous man in America because he and Bayard Rustin, you know, they organized the March on Washington. But A. Philip Randolph was you know, pretty much the brainchild behind that. And that's why he was given that designation. And, you know, they considered Moses, you know, Martin Luther King as Moses because, you know, basically he was at the forefront of that. It was like he was leading, you know, the black communities, you know, out of bondage, out of oppression. You know, the only problem is is that, you know, when he died, you know, people ran for cover and it did not continue on. But when he died, it was during the time when he was going to do the poor people's campaign. So during that Mm -hmm. campaign, it was for all people, all poor people, all people, you know, the working class, the poor, you know, the underprivileged, um, you know, he was working for everyone regardless of your color. And, you know, they couldn't have that, you know. And, you know, a lot of people, you have to understand how our economy works. Basically, in America, there has to be a certain percentage of people unemployed. Otherwise, our economy would implode. That's a given. You go back and read some of your economics books. This Mm -hmm. is a given. You have to go back and and get a better understanding. But just to move on, a lot of people consider Barack Obama as the Joshua. Now, remember in the story of, you know, 
this particular story of Exodus, when Moses was told that he would not be able to go to the promised land, he basically passed it on to Joshua, okay? Mm-hmm. And with Barack Obama, what he did is he played into that reference. And he even launched um, a project called the Joshua Generation. And basically, in, you know, the African-American community, in churches particularly, they denote um, the Joshua generation as the generation of people to bring about social justice, you know, which, you know, is quite interesting. Um, But that's what it denotes. Um, The Moses generation, basically, they were used for the Freedom Riders. So, you know, we had the Freedom Riders. We talked about them. Those were the people sitting at the lunch counters that were designated as white only, getting their heads beat in, getting um, the water hoses, getting attacked with dogs, um, having smoke blown in their faces. You know, I've posted quite a bit about that, and I encourage you guys to Every go Every possible of injustice that you could possibly think of that somebody could do. Yeah. You can't ride the bus. Yeah. You can't get some food. You can't try on shoes before you buy them. You can't use the bathroom. You, you, you can't yeah. imagine. You can't. Yeah. I mean, the people right now living today, it is almost too far, and that is why they could make fun of Harriet Tubman because it's so far away, and you've had you've input so many pieces of information in your head. Maybe you did forget. You know, maybe it isn't mm-hmm. that um, right around the corner from you. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. I think there's a whole generation that. Um, Moved away from grandma and grandpa, you know, granddaddy yeah. and them. You know, uh, they moved away, so they don't they, they they didn't get the stories when they were twelve or thirteen. When when, when, yeah. when granddaddy says, "Hey, I want to I want to tell you a story about how you know how my my grandfather was born nineteen eleven. Mm-hmm. His uh, mother was white. His father was black. And mm-hmm. when his mother and father came to visit him after he got married, and he's in his 30s, they had to mm-hmm. ride on different train cars from, like, St. Louis to Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, think yeah. about that. I can do it. Think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's pre-Rosa Parks, right? So, exactly. I mean, maybe maybe Rosa Parks was, 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 was a Moses, or maybe... Just maybe mm-hmm. we should stop using the Moses reference anymore ever. Exactly. <laughs> and we oh, should yeah, figure that's, because that's what, but that's, the that's only way to do that. Oh, yeah, no, 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 okay, no, okay, no, okay. okay. Oh, you, you haven't gotten there yet? Okay, I'll wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, I was, was going to talk a little bit more about Barack Obama because, you know, he was talking about the Exodus as well, and he, he referenced Exodus in his 2008 campaign, you know, and with his speech to the NAACP in 2009, he said, what we celebrate tonight is not simply the journey the NAACP has traveled, but the journey that we, as Americans, have traveled over the past 100 years. He took it, He took us back to a time before most of us were born, long before the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, Brown versus the Board of Education, back to an America just a generation past slavery. He spoke about that journey from W.E.B. Du Bois to MLK to the 2008 election. 
And he said, I stand here tonight on the shoulders of giants, and I'm here to say thank you to those pioneers and thank you to the NAACP. So I just wanted to bring that up and also to let people know the Civil Rights Movement did not start in the 40s or in the 60s. It goes all the way back to the late 1890s, and W.E.V. Du Bois is called the grandfather of the Civil Rights Movement. So go back and do your research, learn something, get some of this history under your belt. But I don't know. I think it goes back further than than him, though, Kim, because there were a lot of there were a lot of there are a lot of black organizations, um, particularly um, a lot of black women's groups that fought for for various rights for black for black people, um, you know, following the end of slavery. And there were and there were groups probably before that that we're not even familiar with, you know, freedmen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who you know who lived during the slavery era? Who did these things? And of course, there were you know churches and things like that. So we have to keep these things in mind. But I do. I, I mean, obviously, you know, W. E. B. Du Bois is is important, but he's not the first. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't the, well, wouldn't the yeah. first civil rights movement person really be the first slave that said, "Hey, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I'm gone." The first one that, that said, "I got to go." That was the first. That's the civil rights movement right there. You want to get real? That's the first person. The first person said, "I got to go." I'm not okay. doing this, no matter what you say. You know that's, that's the civil rights movement. But exactly. to take your Moses analogy and and to bring it into Obama, if if you wanted me to do that, I would say that Obama is the Moses that parted the red tape between you and some health care around this month. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you what Barack Obama said specifically, which is going to bring it all into context. Barack Obama said, he stated, I thank the Moses generation, but we've got to remember now that Joshua still had a job to do. As great as Moses was, despite all that he did, leading a people out of bondage, he didn't cross over the river to see the promised land. God told him, your job is done. We're going to leave it to the Joshua generation to make sure it happens. And that's why he embraces the Joshua generation. He says, basically, um, he's telling people to move on and not be stuck in the vestiges of bondage, and that Moses led, but Joshua governed. So now we're in a Joshua, you know, generation. So that's what Barack Obama said. It's time to move on from that. But wouldn't wouldn't it be wise to clown um, how old Moses was when, when he died. <laughs> wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be, wouldn't they, don't they have to include that and say that Moses was 120? <laughs> and, we, we really, and, and, I mean, they, and then he didn't get to the Methuselah years, Methuselah, I mean, and, and it really exposed how silly that is. Now, yeah. could somebody live to be yeah. 120? Sure, sure, they could. But was there ever a Moses? No, no, there right. wasn't. Exactly. So we got to figure right. out something different. We got to figure out something different. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I, I 100% agree with you on that, you know, but, I mean, you know, it's just it's about putting that story of Moses, you know, in context. Even though we already know Moses never existed, the Exodus never happened. We talked about that on the last biblical history story, which was about a year ago, and that's why we're bringing it now because you, I hear a lot of people of color you know, not only blacks, but I've heard Latinos and Native Americans, you know, referencing the Exodus. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it's about, you know, reconciliation. It's about unity. It's about healing. 
um, in, in, you know, and taking it out of that biblical context. You know, you know, you can't just snatch Ooh. it away. You kind of have to ease no. people out of this. You got to ease oh. it away. Well, how about this? Yeah. How about this? If mm-hmm. they're going to be anti-gay, then then you have to call them on on on, on pulling Egypt. And then you go, like, oh, you must be one. You must be one of them Pharaoh people. Exactly. Yeah. You got to do it exactly. like that. I love that analogy exactly. of someone who was oppressed, then becoming the oppressor and not seeing it. And it, it goes everywhere from wearing shoes that was made by a kid, changing them to a table. You know what I mean? Or using a uh, using products. Um, or wanting a diamond made by somebody, you know what I mean? They, they, they got mined out by somebody uh, being robbed of their natural resources, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, in their area, you know, and have and, yeah, and not absolutely. only robbed of it, but but made to rob yourself. Woo! That's rough. Exactly. That's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but that's that colonialism. You know, that's why I say, you know, um, you know, if you go back. You know, it's all steeped in that. You know, it's rooted in colonialism. You know, um, mm-hmm. so you know we have to address that. Maybe you know we'll do a show on colonialism and you know the effects of that in the future. You know, because you know I don't think you know some people understand what's happening. You know, with that, but you know it all boils down to you know I don't know this American dream that's been sold to the American people. There is no such thing, you know, but, you know, unfortunately, Americans, especially in communities of color, you know, they're so that idea, you know, and they're so idea that we're progressing towards a more progressive, tolerant society. And I'm going to read a quote by David Frank, and he was talking about Obama, and he said, Obama sounds the prophetic voice of Afrocentric theology, and his voice soars in Hebrew scriptures, particularly in the book of Exodus, and harmonizes with Martin Luther King's creative adaptation of the Exodus story, the civil rights movement. And, you know, what that says to me is that with Barack Obama and even with Martin Luther King, they were playing into this story because this is something that, you know, because America is a country or they believe that this is a Christian country, and they believe these stories, and 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 they will, you know, uh, invoke these stories in a heartbeat. What they were doing is they were playing to their audience. Again, you have to know your audience. Now, while I generally believe that many of these people were agnostic or non-believers, but again, you know, um, this is they had to work with what they had. Yeah, exactly, and and that's what's but, happening yeah, now. I don't think they really believe it. But it's a great story, and you got to tell yeah. people a story and make reference to a stories that they've heard before. And so, yes, exactly. you have to use that. And so when people say to people who are atheist, free-thinking, secular, human, you know, humanists, you know, earthlings, mm-hmm. uh, why, do you, why do you keep bringing up the Bible? Because because that's the only book you kind of know. If you're talking about that book, um, if you if the preacher's been talking to you about that book once a week for the most for most mm-hmm. of your life, it's, right? It, um, and then I can tell you something that he didn't tell you. Like if I can say to you, right. um, you know the story a lot, and you go, yeah. Well, I say, well, what happened? Do you know what happened after uh, Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt? I, I know that most preachers they don't go past that part. 
Okay? Right. They don't. Exactly. But right after that, Lot ends up getting drunk with his daughters and having sex with both of them. And I'm thinking he's supposed to be the hero of the story. But most people who are religious don't even know that part because no one's read that part to them because they haven't read the book themselves. Exactly. 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 That's why I talk about incest and all of that is sanctioned by the Bible. And, you know, when you say that, they get angry. They really get angry when I talk about the porn of the Bible, Song of Solomon. But that's another story. Maybe we'll do a Bible porn I gotta, show. We've we got to do a whole show on that one. Um, but, yeah, Kim, Kim when, when, I, when I first read uh, that part, uh, somebody pointed that part up to me about Lot and his daughters, right away, mm-hmm. that was my thought. I thought, wait a minute. Is that how these pedophiles do it? Is that how exactly. these people do it when they're messing exactly. with their daughters? Is that how they exactly. do it? And I'm thinking to myself, there is, I don't, I don't have any children, okay? But I don't believe there's any amount of alcohol that could make me sleep with a relative. That doesn't make no sense. I, I, I can't never be that drunk. Oh, we all ain't going to be that drunk at the same time. It's just, it's just nuts. It was legal. And not only that, well, don't forget now, uh, uh, Mary was just, what, 14 years old. So, hey. Oh, oh don't get we, me wrong, you're right. We, Mary. We, I'd be married at, at, uh, at, I can remember, I think it was like my great-grandfather's. Uh, back in that time, they was marrying girls. They would be 40 years old marrying girls under 18. It was, it yeah, was okay back the, um, like there. Did you see the picture? It had a picture, and it had uh, a picture of Joseph sitting on the bed, and he got his hand on his chin, and he says, uh, if, if God made the universe, I mean, made a woman out of Adam's rib, then why couldn't he just make his own wife? <laughs> why do you have the fuck mind? I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Well, uh, just thinking about lot, I, I thought about lot, you know, it's like, hey, Daddy, why do you have your hands in my pants? Shh, call me Lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Call me Lot. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Call me Lot. But Call yeah, me, no, it's just uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, but yeah, it's uh, you know, that's why I say sometimes I don't really you know I don't come down on them as hard as I could because with a lot of this stuff, you know, they're just acting out in some cases what they see in the Bible, and then they will tell you that biblical law supersedes man's law. And I'm like, okay, so next time you get in trouble and you go to jail and go before that judge, pull out your mm-hmm. Bible and start, you know, spitting scripture at them. Let's see That's what happens then. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, judge, you ain't up. supposed to give me probation. You're supposed to cut off my hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let me go on about my business. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the whole thing. But, you know, like I said, you know, with the story of Exodus and especially with African Americans in this community, you know, I wanted to show just, you know, put it in context to show the different ways, you know, it's used and invoked. But especially in the African American community, we just kind of see it. We see these things a little differently. Our perception of the Bible and these stories tend to be a little different than your standard white American, white Christian American's perception and explanation of these stories. And there is a difference between white Christianity and black Christianity. And, you know, until we get to the point where people are listening and studying and understanding this better for themselves, you know, until then, you know, it's 
you know, the secular community, it's time for us to, if you will, pick up the mantle and move on. You know, it's time to start marching again. You know, it's time for us to raise our voices. It's time for us to help, support, motivate one another. It's time to get back out in the community. You know, social justice is real, which is why we focus on it and we talk about it so much. Um, you know, um, you know, many of the you know black atheists and free thinkers and skeptics and non-believers in this community. This is why we talk about social justice. Extremely important. We have to go back. You cannot forget where you came from, and you know, to a certain degree. I feel as though I am my brother's keeper, if you will. And, you know, um, it's, it's interesting, but the story of Exodus itself contradicts the claim that African Americans are supposed to be slaves. Because, you know, if they were basing it on the story of Exodus and the slaves were eventually freed, why is it that the South wanted to fight the North regarding, you know, um, succeeding? Because, I mean, a lot of people are under the misconception that the Civil War was fought primarily to set the slaves free, and that's not true. You know, the Civil War, it was about money. It was about finances. And, you know, part of that happened to be the slaves generating income for the South but the thing mm-hmm. is, is that it was not fought primarily to set the, you know, the slaves free. But in the Bible, I, I don't know if that's true. Slaves. I don't know if that's true, Kim. I don't know if that's true. Ingersoll, who was a colonel in the Union Army, when report, mm-hmm. when speaking at a Ulysses S. Grant, S. Grant birthday party, this was written mm-hmm. by Mark Twain. He said that mm-hmm. Ingersoll was asked why the Union soldiers fought so hard, and he said, "We fought." That a mother might own her child. Yeah, but that was yeah, that, but that was that was, that was yeah. part of the the media part of it. That was part of the you know the you know the public relations part to it. Right. That wasn't right. the the main part of it. I mean, it right. was it was very easy to cast it in terms of in moral terms as we're doing something that is morally right that we have right on our side, but that's not necessarily why it was it was fought. That was, it was about that was money. A benefit. Yeah, it was a benefit yeah. that, you know, it mm-hmm. ended slavery, essentially. But yeah. that's not what it was fought for. Yeah, the mm-hmm. slaves were freed mm-hmm. the punishment. They were freed of the punishment to the South. They were too lazy to do their own plantation. That's what it was. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was a punishment. It was a punishment. That's why they were free. And then um, Abraham Lincoln got drunk and was talking to a reporter. I have to look it up and I'll post it. But he got drunk and ordered the slaves back into slavery. And he was saying that basically, you know, he didn't really want to set the slaves free. I had to find that. I have to find it and I'll post it. Yeah, I got to see. I got to see this shit. <laughs> okay, come on now, come on now, because uh, uh, in my head, it's um the person who wrote that is some tea party fat fuck with Cheetos with Cheetos on his fingers. Yeah, this is a, Abraham Lincoln was drunk, and he told the truth about how he felt about them niggas. Come on, come on, come on, come on, <laughs> come on y'all. Come on, come on! I look, look. No matter what the reason was, he did it. Okay, no matter what the reason was, he did it, and they killed him for doing it. Okay, and it wasn't to hurt the whole South. If if, if that's the case, it only would hurt the few rich people who could do it. 
Right. You see what I'm saying? Everybody, I mean, basically, basically. Which would have brought uh, down the their economy because have... their economy was essentially was dependent on slave labor. Exactly. So the entire economy of the South was. So economy in general, it is. Yeah, but it's still on slave labor, basically. Right, whether it be peonage or factories that are, you know, prison factories, it's still slave labor. It's the same thing well, over and over remember again. Remember the cotton gin had come into play. Um, you know, we're going through yeah, the cotton gin and all of that. And but you know, it, the civil not the civil rights the um, civil war was fought because the South wanted to succeed from the Union because basically the South had basically garnered a lot of economic power, just power in general. And, you know, it, it boiled down to taxes and money and, you know, them paying, you know, additional, like we're having a problem now, and they didn't want to do that. And that's basically why it was fought. It was because of money and the slaves, just the slaves. This country was built on slave labor. This economy was built on slave labor. You know, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. But the thing is is that that the Civil War was not fought just to set the slaves free. The slaves were set free as a punishment. I'm going to find that article, and I'm going to post a little bit later. But, yeah. Yeah, the Abraham Druck article. Yes. Well, so you're saying Moses was drunk (laughs) in this particular case. Moses in a hat. Moses in a hat. Well, Abraham Lincoln got to be the – no, because you're right, though. Other people, when they tell the story of Abraham Lincoln, they tell the story of – but hold it now. uh, They tell the story of, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln like he's Moses, right? Now, Robert Green Ingersoll, who lived during that time, said that Abraham Lincoln was our greatest president because having almost absolute power, he never abused it except in the cause of mercy. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So he okay. felt so, that yeah. abuse of power? No, no, no. Well, no. Oh, no. No, I know, I know, I know, I know what you Yes. No, your Ron Paul people will tell you that, you know, if you got states' rights, then, yeah, Abraham Lincoln did abuse his power when he did that. Right. And he said, right. and so Ingersoll said, yes, he abused the power of the presidency, okay, mm-hmm. but only in the cause of mercy. Right. Exactly. He said other people will abuse the power of the presidency and fill the pockets of all of their rich friends. You see what I'm saying? Right. He exactly. abused it no, in, the, in the cause of mercy. There's a difference. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, but the thing power. is that, you know, it was about them succeeding from the union. And, yeah, of course, one of their arguments was about states' rights. And that's one, that was one of the um, <clears throat> reasons that they were using when they were trying to succeed from the union, because they thought that the federal government was too big and basically usurping their powers. And But a lot of that, you know, steeped in racism, steeped in racism, because we've talked about that about, you know, um, in order for the New Deal to be passed, basically they needed the votes from, you know, the Southern senators and representatives. But the only way they would vote for the New Deal to be passed was if federal government basically pushed the monies down and the decisions down to states' rights. 
and they were able to make decisions based on, you know, at their discretion as to who received what monies, like, you know, unemployment and Social Security and, you know, that type of thing. And a lot of minorities were excluded because um, basically agricultural workers and domestic workers were excluded. And mainly that was people of color, you know, working the farms because that's all they pretty much knew how to do and be domestic help. So and that was states' rights. I mean, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's racism, but, you know, that, that's even what we're dealing with now, um, with them pushing, you know, a lot of this down as states' rights. And this is why we rail against, you know, a lot of the public policies that are out here, which is why, you know, we try to bring it to people's attention. Because, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of black people and Latino people talking about states' rights. And I will bring it up every once in a while talking about states' rights. And there are certain things that should be, you know, sent down to the state, but we have to understand it. Now, you know, one of the statistics is that there are less people receiving, you know, welfare and food stamps and all of that. What a lot of people don't understand is that the federal government is still giving these states pretty much the same amount of money, but they're pushing people off the rolls. So with that extra money that's left over, they're able to utilize those funds any way they see fit, which is usually their pet project, which is why we're telling people to get involved in local politics, understand what's happening. But, um, you know, it's just the whole thing. The whole thing, you know, it's a lot of learning to do. It's a lot of teaching to do. That's why we encourage people to get out here and to get involved and to understand. I'm going to read a statement from John Lewis. And, you know, he was talking about um, the March on Washington. And, you know, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. But he said, today, in our time, we have the power to bring down the walls of racism, the walls of poverty, the walls of intolerance with each of us inspired by the message of this address and the gift of the orator, we march on. And that's why I say it's time to get out here and march again. It's time to put your boots back on and get out here. It's time to raise our voices. As far as I'm concerned, we need to vote everybody that's in office out. Vote them all out. Let's start over and hold them accountable. But Only part of the problem you is... you got to have a good name for it, Kim. You gotta have a good name mm-hmm. for it, like the clean house, the clean house, yeah. the empty, the empty it out. You know what I mean? You gotta, you know, you have to be some kind of catchy phrase that gives everybody the point. You know, I, I, I think another thing to do is if you're gonna vote for somebody, I honestly think that each person you vote for, the person running for office must, 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 must be progressively poorer and poorer. Okay, you, you see what I'm saying? If you get somebody mm-hmm. who's too close to being really, really rich, they're going to do the bidding of the people who's way richer than they are. But if somebody's broker, <laughs> maybe there's a chance right. that they can understand well, what it's like. That's why they shouldn't get yeah. paid. They well, shouldn't get paid. But that yeah, money, they, they but that money's no money they anyway. Paid, they, they, get, they wouldn't do it. But see, this is the thing. This is a secret that a lot of people don't realize. All you have to do is serve one term in the Senate or one term in the House of Representatives, and you get a percentage of your salary for the rest of your life. You only have to win once, one time. That's a hell of an incentive there. Yes. Really? And and not just that, but a lot of people don't. Is it it all the different levels of that? So I can get like a local... 
Oh, federal? No, no, so federal. I got just one, no, 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 no. This is a, this one is federal, federal thing, and I get paid forever. Connect mm-hmm. or whatever else it's called. 
in, in various states. Right. But when they present it to people, they're like, oh, this sounds way better than Obamacare. Exactly. <laughs> they don't exactly. realize that is precisely what Obamacare is. You know what I mean? Exactly. What ACA is. Exactly. Yeah, and most when you of call them it Obamacare, yeah, when you call it Obamacare, they hate it, but when you call it something else, they love it. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, you know well, most of them don't even know. Most they don't have don't a clue. Know, they don't have a clue about how good it is, how much better well, think it is about than this. what it was. How, if, okay, if you're a person with health care, how can you have reasons why others should not? And if you're a person without health care, how can you be so blind as to not notice somebody's trying to help you? Right. Well, the and, reasons why and, some people and, don't want other people having health care when they have health care is they somehow believe, you know, that some, this person over here, you know, having health care is going to somehow diminish their coverage or diminish, you know, their quality of health care, which is ridiculous. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it, you know what it is. To a certain extent, it's it's that it's that old, you know, sort of that old sort of classism, you know, coming into play. It's like. You know, my, my sandwich, you know, my my bologna sandwich is somehow, you know, cheapened. You know what I mean? If this person has to. You have to look at this brown. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know? you're right. It's yeah, but a lot of people, I thought the people who were against universal health care, which other countries have figured out how to do, and that's one of the reasons why cars like a like a Japanese car might be two or $3,000 cheaper because they got universal health care, and so the company can right. make the car $2,000 cheaper. But, um Basically, I thought the people who didn't want universal health care didn't want to wait in line with browns around, with some browns around. Exactly. That's part okay. of it. That's, that's absolutely that's correct. Some of this is steeped in racism, and that's why some right. of the social ills in this country, some of the social ills is because we do not have a real safety net in this country. Right. But it seems as though that's starting to kind of change a little bit. This is an excellent first step. This is an excellent first step, which is why I say it's important that we vote in 2014, and hopefully President Obama learned his lesson. If we get, you know, the Democrats back in power in the House and keep them in power in the Senate, you ain't got to reach across no damn aisles, just pass them damn bills. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's move yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, let's move it's on. It's just a basic selfishness. Space selfishness, but you know, vote them all out, or you know, whatever you got to do, you got, or you got to pull your party, or you know, people, you know, more progressive. Um, people, uh, uh, liberals, liberals is the wrong word. Progressive. We're either progressive or we're regressive. And right. Um, religion does progress. It, it does. It does get better, but it gets better slowly. You know, when you think about yeah. the hundreds of years when. Christians that believe that you should immerse somebody to baptize you or the people who believe that a couple drips will do, they would kill each other, believing differently. Right. Backwards and forwards. And to not recognize that and and not see how how close the rhetoric comes to still being that way. Uh, If if they had full power, um, they would be rounding up gay people and atheists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they Quit. be rounding up anybody. And, you know, it's oh, yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, their God hates everybody they hate. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's you know, something that's, you know, evident. 
But, yeah, no, they would be rounding up gay folks. They would be rounding up um, non-believers. They would be rounding up, you know, a number, a number of people. And that's the reason yeah. why you know, I think it's important for us to understand what's happening, which is why it's important to have safety nets and, you know, protections for, you know, everybody in this country. Because, again, you know, I've said it on several different occasions, um, um, the the next um, round of people, the next set of people that they're going to start coming after is us. Because, you know, now gays, you know, the LGBTQ community, you know, they're starting to get full rights, you know, so they can't go against black people because, you know, that's a protected class. Gays are now a protected class. So what's left? That's the non-believers. And I believe we're the next target unless we become a protected class. But, again, like I said, the interesting thing is is that the Obama, you know, President Obama's administration is acknowledging non-believers. I mean, from the very beginning he acknowledged us, but now he has invited the Secular Student Alliance to the um, interfaith meeting that they're having. So this is the first time ever that, you know, an atheist organization, you know, has been invited to those meetings. So it's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the wrong direction. And then the Pope said something about, what did he say? This was the couple yeah, of We don't care what the Pope said. Yeah, but he said something <laughs> that they didn't like. They didn't like that either about atheism was something. I forgot, but it was something, you know, that they didn't like. He said you can be an atheist and you can still be a good person. It's something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, I, I just, yeah. you know, I, you know, but, while, I mean, what he said was true, however, you know, I think I think we all have to be a little, you know, regard him and the church with a with a with a bit of suspicion, um, especially well, yeah. when he's talking about you know the the church has to be a why a big tent, you know what I mean, and 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 make room for other people and that type of stuff. That's well, called that's of, called money. You know, that's called hustling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, yeah. and further than that to is the, the fact that. All faith, or something like that, right? Right. Yeah, the non-denominational route. But but even if even if you even if you buy that part, the fa- the fact of the matter is is that he still has some very anti-gay and lesbian views, and he still has some views that are very friendly to corporate interests and to um, you know oh, the yeah. upper classes. You oh, know, so definitely. it's you know not to say that he hasn't said some some things in favor of the poor, but the church that he represents. You know what I mean? Has has always favored the rich. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the expense of the poor. And and to have a guy who talks about, you know, everyone talks about how he's always riding buses and he's not about lavish expenses and things like yeah. that. Okay, well then why is the church cutting back its its schools in poor neighborhoods? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If they're so about, you know, helping the poor, why are they cutting back on services mm-hmm. to poor and low-income areas if this is what they're really about? So you have to really mm-hmm. regard this with a bit of suspicion because they're, they're oh, talking yeah. out both sides of their mouth. Of course. Exactly. Right, because all, really all he can really say is, here is where we hid the pedophiles. I'm sorry it took so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see that day, you know, but uh, <laughs> right. it's never gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Please put my ass right. in jail. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, made know, a, I made a citizen's you know, arrest only... on the previous pope. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, but 
mean, but not only was the Catholic Church, I'm talking about the Pentecostal Church. I mean, the churches in America, you know, I mean, it's some of the things that have been covered up by these yeah. churches and these ministers, and then, the, mm-hmm. you know, many of the parishioners are complicit because some of them know, you know, and some of them are whisper gangs, and then, you know, the pastor, his pimp gang so tight, he can get up there and, you know, preach about the gossipers in the church and knowing that it's true, but it's like, you know, he was like, well, you didn't see it. You don't know. You weren't there. Mm-hmm. And then have right. you apologized because he molested your child. Have you apologized uh-huh. and still Exactly. You know. It was the child's fault. Exactly. And, I mean, you know, that type of stuff is still happening. You know, this, yeah. this has gone by the wayside. It's just that the reason why we know more about it is because of the Internet. But, you know, that's the reason why it's good, it's good to have shows like this. And, you know, not only this show but other shows as well is because people are starting to get the courage. There are more people standing up to these ministers and standing up to their pastors. I know one pastor I went toe-to-toe with, you know, after we had our little run-in, if you will, you know, one of his sermons, he was talking about we used to have people up here scared to death, have them shaking in their boots. But it's not mm-hmm. like that anymore. People are reading, and they understand, and they know, you know, what's real and what's true and what's not true. And that was his way of acknowledging and telling me that he knows I'm right. But, again, mm-hmm. that's still his income. It's a career for many of right. them. And what a lot of people a have business. to understand is that, you know, especially in communities of color, and this is the reason why it's mainly primarily black men in these positions of power as far as the churches are concerned, is because for many of them, this is really the only career path that they have. I just yeah. always say many of these pastors are not qualified to give me fries with my shake. Do you understand? You know, Can you and, have a um, conversation with you. Yeah, but I mean, just no, you know, many of. Go ahead, honey. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm waiting for you. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm just saying, many of them, you know, do not have the education, and some of them do have education, but not everybody is made for academia. Not everybody is made for corporate America. Not everybody is made for any of those things. A church is nothing but a business, a small business, mm-hmm. unless you turn it to a mega church, and then you got a yeah. corporation. For a while there, Creflo Dollar wanted to put his church on the stock market. He was trying to IPO world changers. You know, mm-hmm. he still may be on the back burner. So well, at least he may be a little bit more. Look, at least he'd be. At least then he'd be. It'd be more honest. You know yeah. what I mean? Than how he represents himself in his church now. You know. I don't know about that. Right. I'd be all. No, well, I'm just, I mean, obviously, it wouldn't make him more honest, but at least he'd be more open. <laughs> you know what I mean? His his you know, his his real motives would be out in the open. You know what I mean? Right. More so than exactly. they are now. You know. Because mm-hmm. now exactly. he can still say, you know, I'm doing the work of the Lord, you know, but mm-hmm. then somebody looks and sees that he's tradable on the stock market, they're like, wait a second. I don't remember the right. Lord says, saying go forth and trade on the stock market, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's why, you know, I think a lot of these people need to make an exodus out of religion. I'm not saying they should be non-believers or atheists or free thinkers or anything of that but I think they need to make an exodus out of these churches. You know, if you're going to read the Bible and follow, you know, those scriptures, do it to, you know, I know they say lean not to your own understanding, but, you know, you've been led in a circle for so long. You know, even the exodus, even in exodus with the children wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, 
eventually they made their way out. What's your mm-hmm. excuse? Well, the other but part you know, is, is, like, if you're not leaning to your own understanding, you're always going to be leaning on somebody's understanding, so might as well be exactly. yours. Exactly. You know what really pissed me off uh, the, uh, last night? I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything, so I said I was going to get on on Facebook and just check and see what other. I get so sick and tired of men, black men, down in black women. You know, I mean, <laughs> so a lot of them, a lot of them are saying, you know, okay, like say they, you know, don't believe in the, you say you don't believe in the Lord or the Bible or whatever. But you still got your nose in it, going by what the Bible says about women. You know, I mean, it, either you is or you ain't. And they be talking. Hey, 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 hey! Listen, sh- shut your rib ass up. You came from a rib. You don't need to be talking to <laughs> yeah. me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told, right? I you ain't nothing but, but a okay. rib. You kind of said that. Uh, what you were saying? Some about. They making them, that we making the women making the boys gay. I said no, God did that when it said you had a ba- a baby girl, made me mad. Well, you know, hey, and uh, what I, but what gets me is that even in the free thought, the secular community, there are still some men that hold on to that particular mindset to some of those beliefs, even though they've left religion and they're now part of the atheist secular free thought community. Some of them still hold on to certain beliefs, like they're the head of the household. and The residual misogynistic beliefs of religion. The residual misogynistic beliefs of religion. Yeah, Uh, Kim Ingersoll said, she said, just imagine uh, God having taken the bone from Adam, Adam, having that bone in his hand, trying to decide whether to make a blonde or a brunette. (laughs) He said, think of it. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, some, a lot of this, it just needs to be reevaluated. And, again, that's why, you know, sometimes I'll post stories by religious people questioning, you know, other religious people or their religion, because the thing is I sit there and I look at it and I'm like, at least they're using critical thinking skills to basically dissect their own religion. Now, while some of us may want them to hurry up, we have to remember with some of us, it took us a little while to get to this point. So, um, you know, I don't believe in proselytizing either way. You know, I don't believe that we should proselytize them out of their religion. We just present them with facts and information and tell them to prove you wrong. And with the effort of them trying to prove you wrong, it's going to force them to read and research. And there's sometimes when they're going to have to agree with you. So, you know, a little bit, you know, at a time, you know, you just put the pebbles out and you let them follow you. you know, and that's how and that's how you do that there. There are some people that will be religious, Christian, you know, Muslim, whatever, for the rest of their lives. You know, I, we're not ever going to eradicate religion. And for the people that think that that's going to happen, you know, you're in for a big surprise. I don't believe religion is ever going to be eradicated. It's just going to be regurgitated. So instead of it being Christ, you know, it may be Harry Krishna next week, you know, in the next, you know, um, generation. Who who the hell knows? Just like we know that Christianity is a regurgitated religion. The religions before that were regurgitated. It's just old mythology, you know, given new names and situations. 
you know, not everybody was a savior of some sort with 12 disciples, but we could name at least 12 scenarios in which that was the case. Mm-hmm. The closest name to Mertra. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a few exactly. of them. So, you know what? Honestly, mm-hmm. when I first saw that, it blew my mind. I was already in the agnostic level, but when I mm-hmm. saw that the whole born of a virgin, 12 disciples, uh, 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 resurrected from the dead, mm-hmm. um, of miracles, mm-hmm. uh, raising the dead, that, mm-hmm. you know, that all of that, was was done before. I was like, oh, my goodness, the Bible's a remix. And then I found out about <laughs> you know, other stories about floods that is, you yeah. know, they're similar that came before the Bible. Then you had, you had stories that were uh, crispier but very similar, um, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve stories, where it didn't yeah. make woman the, the, you know, the, the, the cause of the fall of man. You know, the, mm-hmm. uh, one of the really cool stories basically said that, uh, you know, they're in the garden, and the dude can see this other uh, other garden cross like this like like this bridge, and he's telling her, "Come on, let's go over here." Uh, it was Adama and Eva, and wasn't Adam and Eve, but they're yeah. still close, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, and so finally, she gives in and goes with him. When they get to the other side, the bridge goes away. The guy comes and says, "I told you I had to go over there. Now I got to kill you, right?" And then the dude says, "Hey, just kill me because I can't bother her." And she finally just came with me. And then the woman says. Well, if you're going to kill him, you got to kill me too. And then the God says, well, I ain't going to kill either one of you. I'll help you out a little bit. And that was the end of the story. That's a way better story than Adam and Eve and the snake and blaming woman. And if she would have just not listened to the snake, that makes no sense. Because it says right there in it, thou shalt not eat from the tree of knowledge. Well, right there. You just you stop. You stop right there. Well, if you're really taking that literal, you stop reading because otherwise you're going to gain knowledge. So you really right. shouldn't even get past that part in the book. Mm-hmm. Right. If exactly. you're following the right. book. Right. I mean, yeah, again, you have children that, you know, that question, you know, the validity of that. And then what's interesting is you'll have different religious people saying, oh, well, that was an allegory. Or, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if that part is allegorical, then why can't it all be allegorical? Well, right. Who gets to pick what is, um, you know, the inspired? Well, look, but basically, the, I think, once again, I bring up Ingersoll. He said, mm-hmm. good things in a book do not prove that it is true. Okay? Or, oh, I'm sorry. Good things in a book do not prove that the book is inspired, but bad things in the book prove that it is not. How about that? How about that? Right. Funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. If you got yeah. rules for rape, rules for slavery, it's a bad book. Period. Mm-hmm. Throw that book away. There you go. We don't think we don't there make a new book. Mm-hmm. Don't make go. me have to skip well, around the book. <laughs> yeah, that's called proof texting, and they do that a lot. But on that note, we're they down to the Exactly. We're down to the last two and a half minutes, guys. Check out the archives. This past week we had um, some really, really good shows. Check out the Breakbeat with MC Brooks. That was an excellent show. Check out M and Evil's interview with Jen Taylor from Black Atheist of Philadelphia. That was a phenomenal interview, you guys. You're really going to enjoy that. And, again, the three-part series that I did, and we've done, you know, many, many shows. Go back and check that out. In particular, one show that you may find interesting 
and definitely informative. Check out Raina's show from a couple of weeks ago, the RSS feed with Hidden Colors. Um, that was a very interesting show. Coming up this week, on Thursday evening, we'll have On Blast with Vita Star. Friday evening, we'll have Alfred and Carl. Saturday, Raina will bring you another one of her stellar presentations. And next day, I will be talking shame, 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 shame. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about, you know, the culture of silence. Um, we'll be talking about policing, victimization, stigmatization. We'll be talking about a number of things. And so, you know, it's not necessarily any one specific um, topic, but we're going to be talking about tone policing. Um, again, the culture of silence. We'll be talking somewhat about mental health issues, or sexuality, marital infidelity, homophobia, transphobia, poverty, neglect and abuse, health issues, HIV, chronic and terminal illnesses, all of that, tone policing. I don't know if I said that or not. But anyway, we'll be hitting on a lot of topics next Saturday. I mean, next Sunday, we'll be all over the page there. So on that note, everybody have a lovely, lovely Sunday afternoon. I think it's time to go and get me a sandwich. Take care, everybody. Uh (laughs) Have a good one, y'all. Bye. Afternoon, dummies. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs>